This podcast is not personal financial advice. You're listening to the Aussie Firebug Podcast, the financial independence podcast for Australians. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Ask Firebug Fridays, the monthly fire Q&A where you guys get to submit your questions and I try my best to answer them. I've got another three questions from the community today that I'll be answering solo. The first being guides for investing in shares. Then I'll be talking about the dividend yield trap and why total returns is very important. And lastly, I'm going to be talking about patience during your fire journey and how to manage that and how we have managed that during our time and sharing some tips and tricks for you. Before we get into the episode, a quick word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by our partners at ShareSite, the number one portfolio tracking tool for Aussie investors. ShareSite makes it ridiculously simple with automatic holdings updates, comprehensive tax and performance reporting, wrapped up in an easy to use, fully cloud-based system. My favorite thing about using ShareSite is how easy it makes tax returns. Simply generate your tax report at the end of the financial year and voila, you're done. And here's the best part. It's 100% free for users that have under 10 holdings. If you have over 10 holdings and want to sign up, make sure you use my link to get the first four months for free. Head over to aussiefirebug.com forward slash share site to receive this special offer. Even if you're signing up to the free plan, using that link will score you four months for free if you ever decide to own more than 10 holdings within 60 days. Finish tax time with a click of a button using share site by signing up today. That's aussiefirebug.com forward slash share site for your free four months. Alrighty, our first question today comes in from Tina who writes in, Hi Aussie Firebug, I have three kids aging from 21 to 14 who are great savers and want to invest in ETFs and LICs. I'm educating them financially by teaching them everything from rich dad, poor dad, but don't know much about share investing. Do you have any guides for investing in shares? Tina. Great question, Tina, and thank you so much for writing in. Now, I'm going to be a bit lazy here with my answer, or sort of lazy, and I'm going to suggest three books for your children to read because blogs and podcasts, and I know how ironic this might sound uh, considering this is a podcast itself, but I've always found blogs and podcasts a little bit like junk food when it comes to consuming financial and money-related information. There are a few exceptions, and I'm not saying that there isn't great blog posts and you know good podcasts because there definitely is, but I just think that nothing beats a well-written book because it's usually written by an expert with years and decades of experience in that subject matter. And it goes through a lot of editing and it's just a really polished piece of product. Well, the books that I'm recommending are anyway, can't speak for all books, obviously, but yeah, I'm a big fan of books. And most of my, when the light bulb goes off in my head or I discover something about not just money and investing, but just other subject matters in general, it is nine times out of 10 come from reading a book, not consuming a, a blog post or listening to a podcast. There are exceptions, of course. I know the um, there's that very famous blog post by Mr. Money Moustache with the ridiculously simple math to early retirement. That was one of the exceptions, but most of the time it comes from books. So the three books I'm going to recommend, the first one is The Boggleheads Guide to Investing by Taylor Larrymore. Hope I pronounced that correctly. And this is one of the best books, in my opinion, that provides a practical real-life understanding of how to become a passive investor through low-cost index funds and ETFs. It explains how the stock market works and why tracking the index makes sense for most people when it comes to investing. There is a little bit of US-centric content in that book. So 
feel free to skip any of the US stuff. But this is super important to actually understand why index and passive style investing works because I've said it and I might be you know sounding very repetitive in these podcasts, but you can probably read a blog post or watch a YouTube video for you know, 15, 10 minutes. It can be a very short um, amount of time and you will know technically how to open up a brokerage account and how to make your first investment. But if you don't understand why the thing that you're doing um, makes sense and how it actually works, I think that's a recipe for disaster because when things are going great, it, you know, it's not an issue. You just keep doing your thing and investing, but it's when things aren't going great, you need to have a solid foundation of your strategy and why the asset that you're choosing to invest in is worthwhile holding for the long term. Obviously, you know, multiple people, people invest differently. I'm not saying that this is going to work for everyone, but that book, The Boggleheads Guide to Investing, explains in great detail how and why low-cost index funds and ETFs make sense for a lot of people. And I'd highly recommend that book. The next book I'm going to talk about is Money School by Lacey Filipich who actually appeared on the Aussie Firebug podcast, and I'll put a link to that episode in the show notes. Now, this is another great practical book written for Aussies by an Australian, but also has timeless wisdom that is applicable anywhere in the world. Lacey is someone who has walked the walk and reached financial independence in her 30s, so she knows what she's talking about. I always like books where the author has actually you know, done what they're writing about and hasn't just is not like a um you know sports journalist or something that's commentating on a specific sport that they've maybe never played um and you know that's fine and some people you know are okay with that but I always prefer to read things from people that have actually gone through um, the subject matter themselves and have experience in that area. My favorite thing about this book is that it's very direct. You'll learn practical skills on how to actually execute a plan. Some financial books can either be too anecdotal or way too dry and boring. I know there's the famous book, the the critically acclaimed book, The Intelligent Investor by Benjamin Graham that a lot of people harp on about. And I read that book and I hated that book because I just didn't think it was relatable and it was way too technical for me. Um, And especially being a, a more of a passive investor myself, that was written for more active investors. So I get it that it wasn't really, you know, I'm not part of that target audience, but I didn't really like that book at all. But a lot of people must have because, um, yeah, it is very popular. But in Money School, Lacey strikes a fine balance of good humored relatable stories that emphasize the importance of peer-reviewed investing strategies, which I really like. And the last book I'm going to recommend is The Psychology of Money by Morgan Housel, because The older I get, the more I realize it's mostly our behaviors that determine if we'll be successful with money and investing. I always thought it's how much you know that the really smart guys and girls would be the ones with the superior returns, but Morgan shatters this myth in The Psychology of Money with fantastic examples of why even some of the most brilliant minds suck at managing and investing their money. I really like this book because it focuses on the most neglected part of investing, in my opinion, which is the mindset. Life happens outside of spreadsheets and we're often our own worst enemy when it comes to building wealth. Now, as I said at the start of this answer, the blogs and podcasts are a bit like junk food, but there are exceptions. And one shout out that I'd like to give is to Passive Investing Australia, which I wouldn't even really call a blog per se. It's more of a it's more of a resource um, for Australians that want to invest passively. And it's like a, yeah, this blog or resource um, 
that you'll probably be able to read in a night or two. You'll probably smash through it in a day if you've got enough time. And it answers so many questions, so many commonly asked questions in a really clear and succinct manner. Actually, so much so that I put a link in the um, Aussie Fire Discussion Facebook group because nine out of 10 times when people come into the group and they ask a question, honestly, if you just went to Passive Investing Australia, I think it's .com, you'll probably find what you're looking for with that website. If you're just talking about pure strategies, you know why things do this and building a portfolio, creating an investment plan, commonly asked questions, misconceptions, all that good stuff, check out Passive Investing Australia. But I will caveat that with it is always good to fully grasp and understand the concept because sometimes it is hard, even with a good or well-written blog post, you can't obtain, well, I can't anyway, usually um, obtain the the real proper understanding of a concept like I can through a book, um, through many chapters, but maybe that's just me. And um, yeah, that that is what I would suggest to do. All those books, you don't have to read all three of them, but if you can, if the kids can read all three, that would be better. But each one of them um, has heaps of nuggets of wisdom and information in each of them. So hope that answers your question, Tina, and thanks for writing in. Our next question comes from Reg, who writes in, Hi, Aussie Firebug. Thank you for all the sensational and user-friendly content to date. I'm a newly inspired millennial seeking fire, thanks to your podcast, and was curious to get your views on investing in high dividend yielding ETFs in brackets Australia and global versus your current strategy of the Australian ETFs and LICs, VTS and VEU. I get that the former typically produces lower capital growth and has a higher MER, which is the management fee, but wondering if you have ever considered the strategy given the potential for higher dividend income. Keep up the awesome work. Cheers, Reg. Well, thank you for writing in, Reg, and I appreciate the kind words, mate. I am going to try to break this down. I'm not too sure if this is going to come across as well as I hope through the podcast manner. So maybe this is one that you might want to jump on the website to look because there's a few graphs and there is a few numbers here. But basically, there's a misconception when it comes to chasing higher yielding shares called the dividend trap. I'm a fan of receiving dividends because they're more tied to the fundamentals of the business versus the share price, which can largely be influenced by the behavior of the market, even if the cash flow and the business hasn't even changed. If we take Commonwealth Bank, for example, and again, I've put a little graph on the website, so it may be a little bit hard to convey through the audio, but on the 14th of February, 2020, CBA closed at around about $91 per share. And just over a month later, we all know what happened in the the next month. It was the COVID crash. It closed at $58 or roughly $58 per share during the COVID crash. That is a drop of 36%. Did anyone actually think that Commonwealth Bank lost 36% of its value in a month? Probably not. Were people running for the hills and acting irrationally? More likely, in my opinion. And the reason I bring up the Commonwealth Bank uh, as an example is the interesting thing about the CBA August dividend is that it didn't drop that much compared to the previous year. And again, I've got a graph on the website as a percentage. So for the majority of businesses, dividends tend to go down less as a percentage versus the share price in a crash. There are exceptions, but generally that's how it works. And it can be more reliable in retirement, which is why we prefer of a more of a dividend uh, stream versus uh, selling down shares. 
But whilst I do like dividends, the total return on investment is ultimately the most important number when judging how well an asset performs. So if we imagine two scenarios when evaluating how two investments have performed, we can just imagine that there's a company called, let's just say company A and company B. And in our first example, company A is trading at $100 per share and it pays $3.50 per share once a year. Let's just make it really simple, 100 bucks per share, $3.50 in dividends once a year. So the dividend yield in this example would be, for company A, would be 3.5%. And if we imagine another company called company B is trading for $100 a share also, but it pays $3 per share once a year, the dividend yield is 3%. Now let's pretend we buy one share in both company A and company B, and after one year, these are the results. Company A is now trading at $90 per share, but it pays $4 per share once a year. So right now, as a year later, the dividend yield in company A is 4.4%, but company B is now trading at $110 per share, but pays $2.50 per share once a year. So the dividend yield has actually gone down to 2.3%. Hope this is coming through okay in the audio. It's a little bit easier to follow on the website, but we'll continue. The dividend yield for company A has gone up, but the total return is actually a net loss of $6.50, whereas company B's dividend yield has gone down, but the total return is actually $13. It's in the black. So growth is really important, which is why focusing on the dividend yield can be a bit of the trap sometimes. In our example, company A went up, the dividend yield actually went higher, but the share price went lower. And company B, share price went higher, but the dividend yield went lower. But company B had a better total return than company A. So diversification and low management fees are within our control to an extent as investors, which is ultimately why we invest how we do. And I hope that answers your question, Reg, and just be careful when hunting or when choosing investment purely on the dividend yield, it can be a trap sometimes. Total return is uh, the most important number. So I hope that answers your question, mate, and thanks for writing in. Okay, and now we've come to the last question for today, and it comes in from Dave, who writes in, hey, dude. I was just wondering whether an episode on the podcast addressing patience might be coming up in the future because I think it's a massive part of FIRE. Waiting each month for net worths to rise, checking markets too often, waiting for dividends, waiting to get paid, waiting through goals, even though they seem so far away. Keen to hear your thoughts on this, Dave. Okay, Dave, thank you for writing in and the last question of today. So this is a very interesting topic and One that I struggled with at the start of my journey because the goal of financial independence was so far away when I first discovered it. I almost felt like a little bit depressed and I lost some motivation for work. And I made the mistake thinking that financial independence in of itself was the answer to some of the problems that I was facing. And it was single-handedly going to make me more happier. But If I could go back in time, I would explain to my younger self that financial independence alone doesn't make you happy. It's what you can do with the extra time that you've bought back that really makes you happy. And I'd also explain the concept of coast and flamingo fire, where you can really start to control your time years before you reach your fine number. You'll be surprised what an extra 10 or so thousand dollars of passive income a year can do to your psyche. 
And I know it sounds a bit corny, but you've really got to enjoy the journey and make sure you're living a fantastic life along the way. Fire is more of a life philosophy to me as opposed to a destination I need to reach in order to be happy. Breaking things up helps too. I know the first $100,000 is often the hardest for a lot of people. And once you pass that, compound interest really starts to kick in and you can start to claim back some of your time because really that is the ultimate dividend or the ultimate reward we can get from investing and, and being wise with our money. Because if you think about, you know, there's that old saying that time is money, but also money is time. And when we have enough money to be able to do what we want and we can allocate our time and we're autonomous with, with our work and we can go off and do whatever we want to do, that is that is the ultimate freedom that financial independence can grant. And I think to address your question, Dave, I think one of the most common misconceptions or something that is not discussed enough, and I touched on it briefly with the Coast and Flamingo Fire, but it is that you don't have to wait the entire journey to start reaping the benefits from the seeds that you sowed all those years ago. Like it really starts, it's not like a all or nothing approach. It's not like you're completely, you have zero time and then all of a sudden you tick over this number and you suddenly got your financial independence number and then you get all your time back and get all your freedom back. Well, that's not the way it felt with me anyway. Like I know I spoke spoke about this a little bit in our net worth updates, but we haven't reached our fire number, but I feel like we have so much more freedom and flexibility in our lives now that it's just sort of on autopilot in the background and we're sort of we're on the the downwards hill we've sort of did our hard work in our early and mid 20s and we built that snowball up to a decent size and now it's just a matter of time before we hit full financial independence but i really feel like i've got autonomy over my work at the moment and um, i've got a hell of a lot more free time not working full time is amazing so yeah that that's how i would say that uh, or my thoughts on that question dave is um, you can break it down into to different steps and you start to reclaim your time back sooner than you think. And compound interest is amazing once it picks up steam, but it takes a while to pick up steam depending on how aggressive you are building that snowball. But trust me, once it does, it's like you flick the game mode onto super easy and it's just, you know, a little trickle of passive income is you know pouring down the stream and that turns into a river and then all of a sudden it's turning into a raging torrent and it just takes on a life of its own and um yeah hope that answers your question mate and hope that helps a little bit with your mindset and that is it guys we've reached the last question for today thank you everyone that has written in and if you've got a question that you would like answered head over to my website aussiefirebug.com and with that enjoy your friday guys and i'll see you next time see ya Thanks for listening to another episode. For all the show notes and a full transcription of today's episode, head over to aussiefirebug.com. Never miss another episode by subscribing to Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is for educational purposes only. Nothing in this episode should be taken as personal financial advice. You should always do your own research when making any financial decision.